Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. Carrie is back. Carrie is my mentor, um, and we are going to be talking all about articulation carryover. But first, Carrie, can you quickly introduce yourself, um, just in case people haven't listened to our first two podcasts? They can just quickly get some information on where you're from, what type of SLP you are, and all that. Hello there. My name is Carrie Scriber, and I live in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and I am an SLP in private practice, and I work primarily with uh, clients in the Indigenous population, but I also have some single-service clients that I provide uh, speech therapy to. So yeah, I'm glad to be back. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to come back on to talk all about articulation carryover. I thought we could just dive into first for anyone listening who doesn't know really what that means, because I know I have some high school students and speech students listening. So what is it? How do you describe that to parents? So I would describe articulation carryover as the final step really in the therapy process. So it's where um, kids take the sounds that they're learning in therapy, in structured practice, uh, and they use those sounds in their daily lives. So conversation, play, talking at home, talking at school. Uh, It is the probably the most challenging step I would say in articulation therapy, uh, just because it's something that it takes time uh, to occur. So, you know, it's easy for kids when you're sitting across the therapy table from them and you, they know what they're practicing and what you expect from them. uh, And you're giving them lots of cues for them to make their target sounds correctly. But it's really hard to think about those sounds Uh, when you're not really actively thinking about those sounds. (laughs) It's tougher that way. So yeah, that's how I would describe it. So since it is the most challenging part, this is why I was thinking, (laughs) I'm so excited to discuss this topic. Let's dive into some ideas that parents can use at home. So I've been practicing now for, oh goodness, 27 years, something like that. So over all of those years, (laughs) I've given a lot of thought to this and I've kind of brainstormed and kind of tweaked some ideas And I have, um, you know, some handouts that I email to parents or I provide to parents either verbally or with a form on what they can do at home for articulation carryover. Because a lot of things that uh, parents will find they do already and they're not even realizing they're doing it. I'll kind of run through some ideas that I've that I've suggested to parents. And they're also applicable to ideas that you can use in therapy if you're a clinician um, and you're working on, like let's say you're you finished working on a sound and you've chosen, you've chosen, excuse me, a new target, um, but you still want to hear that sound that you were working on previously. You want that to carry over into conversation. So these are also some strategies that you can use uh, in your therapy practice as well. So one of the things I try and do for parents is I realize that parents have got a lot to do at home. You know, there's a lot more than practicing articulation targets for their kids at home. It it is a priority or else they wouldn't be coming to see me. Uh, But they also have to make meals. They have to do homework. They have to put kids to bed. They have to, you know, deal with their daily lives. And so a lot of the strategies that I provide are things that you can incorporate into your day-to-day activities at home. Um, So the first one, very basic, reading aloud. Um, So, you know, 
one of the main homework uh, things that kids are given in elementary, even in middle school, is that they have to read every day. Um, most kids will go to their room, take a book, read silently. But, you know, we read at home with our kids at bedtime. Uh, so sitting next to your child reading aloud uh, and saying to them, you know, uh, we're going to listen for our, our sound. You've been working on that with Carrie. We're going to find words that start with R. Let's see if we can find them. So you read a book. Um, you say, oh, look, this book's about a rabbit that has our sound, rabbit. Can you try that sound? It can be as simple as something like that when you're reading books. Um, you can also, too, I mean, if you own the books, um, you can take highlighters and you can highlight words that have your sound in the books so that when you're reading them aloud, you pay extra attention to those highlighted words. That can be really helpful for kids. Um, I, you know, I know some people will say to me, I don't really want to highlight my kids' books or, you know, I'm going to pass them on to other people. Uh, so I say photocopy them, you know, photocopy the pages of the books, highlight the photocopies and toss them away afterwards, you know. Um, it can be a picture book, right? You can just find things that start with your sound. Oh, look, you know, there's a, a sucker. There's lots of candy in this book, but sucker has a sound. You've been working on that with Carrie. You know, it can be as simple as that. Use the word sucker in another sentence, you know. So that's a, a really, really good one because you do it anyway. Um, so I'll also tell parents you can get overwhelmed with the number of target words that you use at home that you're trying to target and practice. You can choose a watch word or two. So you might decide if you're working on the k sound that you're going to pick a watch word that's cat because you have a cat in your home. So every time you see the cat in the house, you say, look, mom, there's the cat is a k sound, you know, um, or you're going in the car, you can choose that as a watchword. So it's nice to choose one or two. Um, usually for preschoolers, I would say one or two watchwords is a good one, you know, per week. Um, older kids, school age kids, you might want to pick three or four, they can usually, you know, handle a few more words, you can pick watchwords in the classroom, you can talk to a teacher and say, you know, your student is working on the th sound. Um, can you listen for the word thank you, because it's used a lot in the classroom. So, you know, or the word three, it's also used a lot in the classroom. Can you listen for those two words with your student and then give them a cue if you don't hear the sound, you know, or when you catch them using the sound, say, wow, I heard your sound in that word. Great job. So it's, it's a way to provide praise and reinforcement as well. So um, at home, I can tell the parents have usually gotten some materials from me by this point, which include target cards of the sounds that we've been working on. So I tell them, take a half a dozen of those target cards and tape them up somewhere in the house. Put one on the bathroom mirror, one on the fridge, one on the door to their room, one on the, you know, iPad, because <laughs> the kids are using their iPad. Uh, and then when they come across that word that they see, uh, say the word use it in a sentence, whatever level you're at, you know, so it can be about carryover, but can also be about day to day practice of a sound as well. Um, take a sound walk around your house, you know, walk around the house and see if you can find things that start with the, uh, the th sound, you know, letter F, you know, uh, I see a fuzzy teddy bear, you know, I see four candy bars, you know, those types of things you can, I see our fish in his aquarium. So you can walk around the house and pick out things that have the sound that you're working on. Um, you can make a grab bag of either target pictures or objects. So I kind of like to go around and pick up things around the house, just random things that have the sound and then 
you can, you know, while you're sitting, before you sit down to watch TV or do homework, you can just pull the things out of the bag, say what they are, um, use the word in a sentence if you're at that level. Um, that can be kind of fun for kids too. You can also do like guess in 10, like you can turn it into a guessing game or a describing game. You can work language into that as well. A lot of younger kids really like stuffed toys um, or, you know, even a superhero figurine, something like that. Um, I do find, especially with little boys, it's really hard to rename their superheroes. They typically don't like it when you do that, but they also have lots of figurines that, you know, don't necessarily have a name. I know my son has tons of games you know just Lego figures and stuff and they're not necessarily have a name so you know you can pick a stuffy uh, or some kind of a toy figurine and you can rename it or you can go to the dollar store and you can buy one and you can name it uh, starting with a name that has the target sound you're working on so every time you have that toy or you're sitting at night snuggling doing your reading the stuffy is named Sam and you're working on this sound oh Sam wants to read with us Sam, so fuzzy, you know, like you can just talk to, you can have the child talk to the stuffy, talk to the toy, you know, it's a conversational skill as well. So uh, that's one that seems to work really well. I, I use a lot of two, um, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with the Troll in the Bowl series. Um, it's Dave Sindri has a bunch of games and they're awesome games. Uh, to work uh, on target or tech target sounds and therapy. And they're also really good ones to send home to parents that they can play at home. But what I'll do is he usually the, has a little story that starts the game. You know, this character's doing this and you have to help them do that. And um, you hide the game pieces underneath your target sounds. Um, but what I'll do is I'll rename the character. So, you know, he might call a character you know, Bob, but I'll rename him Frank if we're working on the sound or our blend. Um, so I'll rename the characters in those two. Uh, there's one called Dog Catcher where um, the kids have to collect their dogs. And so I name all the kids, you know, with starting with the sound that we're working on. Um, so you can do that as well. Any game you're playing, you can name the characters with sounds that you're working on. So it seems to work quite well. Playing things like I Spy or like I had mentioned before, Guess It in Five in the car. Um, those can be things. You can try and find things that have your target sound. Um, asking your child. One of my favorite things to do um, that's really quick and can be a daily activity is I'll say to kids or, or even at home, I'll do it with my son when we're working on math facts. I'll say, give me five, you know, target sounds. So I... I put my fist up in the air. And as they give me five things they can think of that start with their sound, my fingers will go up and two. And so once all five fingers are up, I give them a high five. So, you know, they've, it's, it's a good one that works really well in therapy as well. So as a warm up, you can do, uh, let's think of five words that have our sound. And then you can do the opposite. You can say, okay, my five fingers are up. I want you to knock them down with five of your sounds. So they can be five words, five sounds, five sentences that have the target sound. And then once your fingers are all down, you give them a fist pump. So it's, it's a quick little warm up or a daily activity at home that parents can do. Um, you, can use, you can do it for spelling words. Uh, you can do it for math facts. You can do it for vocabulary. It works really well for any target you're working on, but I found it especially helpful for just working in a quick five practice or a quick 10 practice um, of target words for speech sounds that you've been working on. So um, 
For active children, you can sit on the floor, toss a ball back and forth. Every time you catch it, you have to say one of your words that has your sound. Maybe use it in a sentence if you're at that level. Um, you can do that with a Frisbee or a soccer ball or a basketball if you're shooting hoops outside, you know. Um, before you take a shot or if you get a shot, use a word, something like that. So it can be something you know, outdoorsy as well. You can take your sound walk outdoors too that we talked about. So don't limit your sound walk to something inside your house. Go outside, explore. Um, I think too, it's especially important when you're thinking about articulation carryover uh, to listen for your child's sound or your student's sound if you're working with a student in therapy. Uh, listen in conversation, uh, whether it's at home or in the therapy clinic um, because like I said if you're working on a new target you still need to keep an ear out for your previous target because that's going to those cueing that repetition you know the praise when you catch them making their sound that's going to reinforce taking that sound into conversation you know um, so doing that I like to tell parents pick a time at home but maybe it's sitting down for a meal Maybe it's, you know, sitting, if you're watching TV, you can comment on a character that might have a name that starts with your target sound. If you're playing a board game, say, oh, you know what? Um, one of our characters is the car, you know, if you're playing Monopoly, you know, every time we hear the word car, that has our sound, you know, let's, let's make that a watchword for this game. So it can be something like that as well. What we know about the family dynamic is everybody wants to talk and usually everybody wants to talk at the same time. <laughs> so it can be hard to do that. So that's why I tell them to pick a time, um, pick a watchword or two, but also some families will use like a talking stick or whatever they have. So it's, you know, especially at mealtime. So you have to have, I don't know, a specific fork in your hand if you're, and you get to be, you know, the person who gets to talk, you know, you can use that for articulation carryover too. If you have the special stick or fork or whatever object you decide on, you're the person that has to use your sound, use it in a sentence. Uh, I find that a really useful strategy too for um, fluency um, or even for pragmatics, for social conversational skills. Um, it, it helps with turn-taking, you know, uh, I think when we're working with children who um, stutter, one of the biggest challenges for them in carryover um, is they need a turn to talk and they need to be able to feel like they have a turn to talk uh, and that they're not kind of jumping in or and, and they can control their pace a little better too. So I find that's a really helpful strategy, not just for articulation carryover, but for other areas of our job as well. Um, you know, and use the strategies, you know, use lots of praise and use the strategies that you're provided by your speech language pathologist. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, if something's working, let them know. If something's not working, let them know that too. <laughs> because, you know, not, not everything that works in a therapy setting is going to work at home. Um, and one of the things I realized very early on when I started working, before I went into private practice, I worked a lot in, in clients' homes. Uh, and I think sometimes when we see kids at school and then we all of a sudden get an opportunity to see them in their home, we realize that um, 
how kids function at school is very different than how they function at home. It's how they feel at school is very different on how they feel at home. And you really do have to be aware of that and make suggestions that are not going to overwhelm not just the child, but the parent too, because, you know, how we started this conversation was it's, it's tough to get everything done at home. You know, it's tough to get homework done. It's tough to get all that extra practice. And that's especially true for um, our students who have things that they're working on beyond what is typical, right? So, you know, you have a child who's just, you know, a student working their way through their homework, but then you have a child who not only has to work away at schoolwork and their homework, but they have to work on speech or they have to do physical exercises or they have to work on conversational and social skills. You know, when you have to actively work on things that are beyond what is typical for a child's day, it takes a lot of time. And I think being aware of that and, and giving suggestions that will work into someone's day-to-day -day thing because I mean articulation carryover is using your sounds in day-to-day -day activities and day-to-day -day conversation and so if you're not you know developing strategies that work within that concept then it's not really going to happen for you so yeah or for the child okay thank you so much for running through all those ideas is watchword does, is that something you made up you know what I can't remember where I heard that term, I did not make it up. Uh, I honestly believe it was one of my former students that used that word um, mm -hmm. that, that she picked up in her program. And I just really liked the idea of mm -hmm. a watchword, right? Um, and I, some people may say it sounds confusing because you're not really watching for it, you're listening for it. But if you think about it, it's really just a, like a, a concept for telling people watch out for this sound, you know, um, you know, when you hear it, great, praise it, reinforce it. That was awesome. If you don't hear it, give a cue, let them repractice it, and then praise reinforcement. Because I mean, we've talked about this before, I think when we were talking about articulation, I think watchwords are good too, because a parent or a therapist can also um, use the watchwords, but they can also make mistakes using the watchwords on purpose. Mm -hmm. So the child can catch them, you know, um, making a mistake, because I think that for kids, they know they're working on their sound. They know it's hard. It is hard to use in conversation when they're not actively thinking about it and they get cued all the time and it can be overwhelming and frustrating. So when you get to turn the tables, you know, become the teacher, it's especially rewarding and, yeah. and reinforcing for that child to be able to be a teacher and not the person being teached. So we're yes. talking. Oh, there's my grammar sorry <laughs> yeah I, I really like that I really like that idea watchword that's like I feel like that could stick with parents really well also photocopying books and also highlighting them two things I never even thought of because whenever I have like a printout from teachers pay teachers I'll highlight the homework and give it to the parents so if they have to read a paragraph every s is highlighted but I never thought to say to the parents like just highlight your own book because a lot of parents I think would totally be like oh for sure I'll do that I don't know. Yeah, that's a really great idea. Or photocopy. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to do the whole book either. Like it could be maybe you're reading a book and you've come across, a, you know, a particular couple of pages that have lots of the sound you're working on. It could just be those two pages, you know. Yeah. Um, you could as you're reading along, you could have them circle the word. Oh, look, there's one, you know, found it, you know, uh, and use it in a sentence, you know. So it can be 
not even just for reading, but also almost like a find a word thing too. Yeah. You can do that as well. Yeah. 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 Like where's Waldo? Where's our S word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I was thinking for anyone listening who's like, oh, but how, what if the parents can't think of the words? Teachers pay teachers. If you just search S word list free all those word lists pop up and you can just print it out and give it to the parents for like watch words, books, all of that. Um, well, and, and usually by this point, if I'm giving these articulation carryover suggestions, at this point, I have already provided the family with a, a stack of target cards too. So usually they know like, and, and sometimes I'll help them choose a watchword too, because I do find it can be confusing. Like I'll say to parents, choose a watchword for, your R sound that we've been working on. And maybe they choose the word car and we're not working on AR, we're working on R at the beginning of words, right? So it can be a little misleading. So you wanna make sure that parents know um, where to find their watch words and how to come up with them too, you know? Um, but they also may be like, you know, maybe they're working on R, but maybe their sister's name is Heather and it's really important that they work on their sister's name. And so you, you're, one of your watchwords might not necessarily be your target in the position that you've been working on, but maybe it could just be some modeling and practice for that as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then one thing I was just thinking of, like, um, do you try to, if so, say you're still working with this child on S and they just mastered K. So now they're carryover for K. Would you avoid practice target words with S? Because do you find some parents will really focus on the, like, what are your, what's your thought on that? Is it good that there'd be K and S in one word? Or do you think, no, 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 let's just focus on K. We don't want to be like focusing on too much at once. I think if your watchword is chosen for a particular target sound, but it also has another target sound in it, I think it can get confusing for parents and for kids to, um, to, to watch for both of those sounds. Um, now for some kids, maybe they are at a point where they can do multiple targets at home. Right. Um, but usually what I do, even with those, like putting target pictures around the house, I'll always have parents start with, you know, an Arctic target in one position of the word, you know, in one sound, uh, then you know, perhaps as we progress along in therapy and we've covered multiple targets, I may tell them, you know what, pick three words with S, pick three words with R, pick three words with TH, mix them up and put them around the house. Mm -hmm. um, but they do have to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also get um, overgeneralization, right? So, you know, when we are working on multiple sounds, sometimes certain sounds turn into other sounds when we don't want them to, you know, that can happen as well. And that's usually a result of confusion, I find, you know, um, or, you know, if we're working on uh, S, uh, sometimes we can turn you know, other sounds into S that we don't mean to. Now, most of the time I find that overgeneralization will taper off, you know, the more kids realize and are aware of, okay, right, oh, that wasn't an S, or I've been working on S, but that doesn't mean S is in every word that I use, but some kids will do that, you know. It's, I have it's, seen that, it's you know. really cute in a way when like a little kid, they're, yeah. they're trying yeah. so hard to produce S. Yeah. <laughs> if it's at the end of the word, the whole word is S, and I'm like, huh, okay. <laughs> Well, and, and we tell parents and we ourselves, we use overemphasis, right, to provide them with a model and a cue for the sound that we're working on. Um, and so kids will often overemphasize their target sound, right? So they'll say, like, if I'm working on K and my name is Carrie, they'll say, K, 
carry, <laughs> you know, they'll get like it's, you know, and, uh, and, but that tapers off as well. You know, they, they won't always do it that way, but you know, it's their way of, of remembering because if you are not actively thinking about a sound, then, you know, it's hard to remember to use it. You know, uh, we don't think about how many times a day we swallow, but we still swallow, you know, and that's just because we're used to it, right? So, but it's a tough thing to do. It's, it's tough to take what you learn in structure and then put the, put the structure away and then use it just, you know, as you're going about your day. You're not thinking about that sound. You're thinking about the things you're doing in your day, so. Mm-hmm. Um, do you give them like a certain time? Because I remember reading somewhere, um, like research suggested, like even 10 minutes a day can have a big impact on speech, speech, um, on their speech sounds. So do you give them a time limit? Because sometimes I wonder, sometimes when I give a time limit, I wonder, I can, there's two ways it can go. One way, one, it's like almost like a relief, like, oh, okay. And then it's more like, it's more attainable. They're like, I can, I can do that. But then sometimes I think it might decrease the the importance of practice. And then they might just skip it because they're like 10 minutes, you know? So I wonder what your thought on that is. Sometimes too, if you give them too frequent of a timeline, it can be stressful as well. Right. So, um, I think every family is different. I think some kids can tolerate practice every day. Um, some kids prefer, like some kids do well with five to 10 minutes every day, right? Weekends off. Uh, some kids do better with three times a week for 20 minutes, right? I usually, what I do is I ask the kid, uh, the student, if they're old enough to, you know, kind of give me their, um, own opinion on the matter. And I also ask the parents, what's reasonable in your daily life? Is it reasonable to, you know, practice five to 10 minutes every day? Or is it easier to pick three days a week where you sit down for 15 to 20 minutes, play one of the games that I gave you or take a sound walk? It also depends like the activities that we were just talking about. Some of them take a little longer than others, right? So, um, you know, it's that that gimme five takes literally a couple minutes to do. It doesn't take very long at all. Um, But taking a sound walk outside might take 20 minutes, right? but you're also enjoying time together and spending time outside. And so it can double as, you know, just spending time together and doing another activity. I I think it, it, you can usually tell like parents will come in and say, we didn't have time to do this, or I couldn't get to this or, you know, and, and you can usually tell, okay, it's a bit too much, you know, but that's why I try and make sure the activities are a part of their daily activity or ways that they can work into their daily at home activity, because then it doesn't seem like work. Like, you know, I'll say to them, you know, they'll say, oh, it's, it's hard to practice every day. And I'm like, put your five words up on the bathroom mirror and say them while you're brushing your teeth at night. So that's not that, you know, it's not that hard to do, right, to do that. Um, You know, I was talking about using the gimme five, uh, you know, with math facts with my son when he was younger. We did them in the car on the way to school in the morning or on the drive home from school. You know, he had to give me, you know, five answers to five math facts. And and that was something really easy to do um, on the drive home every day. You know, it, it wasn't that time consuming and it was part of our day already. We had to get home. So, <laughs> you know, so I think that if you present it in a way that they can be time efficient about it, but also impactful, I think that's, you know, it'll work. 
Um, but you do have to be aware that sometimes it, you may be overwhelming them a little bit. Um, often I will give out my handout with all the strategies, but sometimes I'll take some out if I think that, you know, or else I'll go through the strategies and I'll highlight, what do you think will work best at your house? And then I'll highlight three of them, right? Let's, let's start here. Just work on these three you know, and then pick, you know, with the watchwords, that's why I say only pick one or two for younger kids, maybe three or four with older kids, but then you can change them, make them into new words for the next week or keep the same words for two weeks and then switch them up for the other two weeks of the month, you know. Um, some parents like to change their watchwords every couple of days, you know, it, it really does, it depends on the child and it depends on the family, you know. I really like the idea of asking them what seems reasonable in their home and the kid, if they're old enough, we'll get a little bit more buy-in from them if they feel like they have a little bit more control. Absolutely. I'm often surprised at even younger kids, how capable they are at letting you know, I can do this, or, you know, this isn't working for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you do get a lot more buy-in. You get a lot more buy-in from the child. You get a lot more buy-in from the parent. Um, if you involve them in that. And, and to be honest, that's one of the biggest um, lessons that anytime I've ever had a student, uh, that's one of the biggest lessons that I make sure that students practice and that they're aware of is you can make all the recommendations you want to, but if you don't have buy-in or you don't actually ask the parent, what do you want to work on? What can you work on at home? Then you're not going to get anything at home and it's not, it's going to be a moot point. You're not really going to get what you need out of the child or the parent if you don't ask them what they need. Um, and sometimes that's different than what you think you would recommend. So you have to find, you know, a balance, you know, a compromise between this is what I would recommend. What do you think of that? Oh, okay. You would like to work on this. How can we put those ideas together? It works a lot better and it's a lot more successful and a lot more positive with, you know, your relationship with your parents and the students that you work with when you do that. Yeah. I think that's such a good reminder. Even I, like I was going to physiotherapist for a few weeks and they were giving me like exercises every week. So first there'd be two exercises, then there'd be three exercises the next week. And I found that the more exercises they gave me, the less I was able to actually do it at home, which you'd think as speech therapists were like, so used to giving out these types of homework and things that we have to do at home. So I would be able to carry it out. But even me who has to give homework to parents and kids, I couldn't do it. So as soon as there was five exercises, I was like, no, this, this in my mind, this seems like way too much time, realistically, what it's like 20 minutes. But in my mind, I was like, I actually can't do it. And so I just told myself, I just can only do two or three or else it's not going to happen. And I can only do it when I'm getting my coffee ready because it's take, you know, and otherwise I can't do it. So it's like, we're all, we all have our quirks yeah. or like what works best for us. I'm really going to use that with parents, really talking to them about what would be reasonable for their own schedule. Cause it seems sometimes things seem simple, like, oh, well, they'll just make it work. But sometimes it actually can be super helpful to just sit down and actually talk about that with them, you know? And we have to remember that a lot of the students that we work with have other things that they're working on as well. And so as, as speech language pathologists, we're very funnel focused, right? We're, we have tunnel vision. We're like, we need to work on, you know, target A, B, and C. That's what's important to our profession and our work that we're doing. But we have to remember that 
you know, that parent, they, they're not just concerned with the speech and language goals, they're concerned with a multitude of other things, um, you know, and, and that can be very overwhelming, you know, so, I mean, if we look at something and think that it's too, con too time consuming or too difficult, we're not even going to try, <laughs> so, you know, exactly. yeah, even, and we may be well-meaning, right, it, it's yeah. not that we don't want to, it's just that, we just hit a wall and we're like, I can't do that. That's too much or too hard. So you need to get the buy-in, you know, you need to have that relationship where um, students and parents feel comfortable to say, that's not working for me, or I really like this, but this isn't working. And you know what? It's trial and error too. Like some kids respond really well to certain strategies and then some are a bust. It's like therapy, right? When you're working with kids, I mean, I think I told you this, when you're, when you're working with kids and you have this great big plan and you think it's going to work out, and sometimes it doesn't you need to you know be able to say okay what else can I do um and so I, I think being a good listener as well as a good teacher is really important um when you're giving advice for how to work on something at home to parents and to, to children so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay um one of my last questions. Um, so if you're a private cl clinician and you see one child and the parent's just the only sound is the TH sound. And say, you mastered the sound, um, then what is your process like? Because you're, it's not like school or public where you might be able to see them again, the parents are paying, um, maybe out of pocket, maybe insurance. But anyways, what, what would be your process? Like, would you do check-ins or, or would you just kind of have a session about discussing carryover with them and all of that and kind of like let them work on that and they can email you if they have questions or like what's what's the process there for private practice SLP for me I, I think it's it's always important to do at least one check-in right I don't like to leave my clients like you know even if we've achieved our goals and we're working at the carryover level right where they're the kids are taking their sounds that they've been working on or even just a single sound and they're trying to incorporate that into their life uh, I think that often, you know, parents start off with, you know, and, and kids start off with, right, this is going to work really well. We're going to work on this. But then a month or two goes by and things start to wane a little. It's like, you know, you make a goal that you're going to exercise in the new year and you do really well in the month of January and things start to peter off in, in February. It's the same with, you know, working on things at home, you know, it, it works. It's the same concept with articulation carryover. So I think it's important to do a check-in, you know, whether you email or call a parent and say, how's it going? Uh, do you think you need to come in? Do we need to do a review, see where the sounds are at? And then what I would do when that child came back in, if the parents did want that, is I would do a conversational sample, you know, just basically, you know, a fun session. We'd play games, we'd have conversation, we'd, you know, do a lot of those carryover activities where I might give them a watchword, I might not, and I might just kind of track, you know, how are they doing? generalization of their sound you know how is the carryover of their target and then give the parent and the student some feedback to see you know where they're at um, parents are usually really good they'll say you know what you know my son is doing really well using that sound at home or they'll come back and say oh it's a total bust you know my son's really he's not using it at all he's not remembering so then we have to brainstorm okay uh, what other strategies can we use how can we you know make this more successful for the the parent and the child so okay well thank you so much for coming on to discuss carryover I've, I've never had this topic discussed on the podcast and 
I think it's something that's just really helpful. Okay, well, um, I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Okay, I'll see everybody next Monday. Thank <laughs> you.